I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. We're going to do something a little different this episode with the Vegas winter meetings headed our way next week. We're going to dive into the winter meetings themselves. What are they? What happens there? Look at it from, from many different perspectives of the people who are going to be there taking part in different ways. We're going to talk to Jim Duquette, former Mets and Orioles executive, and of course now a member of our MLB.com family. We're going to talk with Tom O'Connell, a veteran baseball agent. We are going to speak with John Paul Morosi, uh, of course, my colleague at MLB.com, and as well, another colleague from MLB.com, Jonathan Mayo, about the Rule 5 draft. So we're going to dive into this from an executive standpoint, an agent standpoint, a reporter standpoint, and a Rule 5 standpoint, and look at exactly what is going to happen at these meetings, not specifically, but more procedurally, what goes on at the winter meeting. So let's start this up here with our good buddy, Jim Duquette. Joining me right now on Executive Access, our good friend, our own in-house general manager, as it would be, formerly of the New York Mets and the Baltimore Orioles, an executive with a pristine reputation. And who else would I want to talk to about this? How you doing, Jimmy? Mark, what's going on? I'm looking forward to going to Vegas, as I know you are. Absolutely. Who you know? If you have to go to the winter meetings, you may as well go to Vegas to do it, right? Exactly right. Exactly were you were you at the last Vegas winter meetings? I was at, I was there. I was not as an executive. I was there on uh, on the broadcast and media side. My first foray into the winter meetings, not as an executive. So uh, it was a very memorable trip. I can tell I'm, you. That. I'm sure it was. I remember that was ten years ago, and it was a, a very uh, active winter meetings. The Yankees signed CC Sabathia during those meetings. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the opposite side of the business, the, the side you were in first, and that's the executive yeah. side of it. I know what it's like to be at the winter meetings as a reporter. I'm going to talk to John Paul Morosi, our colleague at MLB.com, about that later on in this podcast. But to be an executive at the winter meetings, you guys, unlike me, you know what's going on, at least to some extent. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> the winter meetings really chaotic for an executive as it seems, or is it just sort of the same as, as the rest of the offseason? You're just doing some business face-to-face as opposed to on the phone. So there's a lot of similarities to, you know, the normal uh, winter. I mean, you try to keep it as as close as uh, possible to the, to the winter time, but you know, the, the, the numbers in terms of the number of people that are there uh, are, are much, much greater in your, the the tendency is uh, even today, you're going to bring up most of your analytic department. You're going to bring in your scouting staff. A lot of times your manager, and your pitching coach uh, or some other coach, um, pro scouts, sometimes your owner is there. So, you know, in some cases, one year I had uh, my owner there, uh, well, actually my first year as general manager. And when you get everybody like that in a room, I mean, you're talking 25 people sometimes in a big suite uh, at the hotel. Uh, it gets, it's, it's really crowded. There are a lot of opinions. Uh, it's, you better be organized. Um, and, you know, it's hard to contain the leaks too in, in that type of situation. So there was a tendency to first start out with the, the greater meeting, a bigger meeting, and then try to, to narrow it down and have smaller groups uh, of, of three or four people when you're going to meet with teams or meet with an agent. And the rest of the group would be there as support staff. Uh, you're doing, you know, report studies, you're, you're sending out your scouts to do homework on what's What's the latest news and rumor uh, that that a particular maybe a particular player that you're trying to sign? What are you hearing from other teams and other competition? It's really an information gathering for those people, and it's you know it's just 
one meeting after another at the at the winter meetings, but you're trying to streamline it, similar to, to the GM's meeting where you're you're trying to focus on let's say six or seven teams that you fit best with, and maybe five or six free agents that you fit best with. All right, so take me inside of a team's suite at the winter meetings. Is it? I mean, I've seen, uh, I've been in a couple of them, uh, you know, for for different interviews and such. Uh, you see a lot of big boards up. You see a lot of you know magnet boards and uh, you know big paper with uh, all kinds of things scribbled all over them. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in there. What what is it like inside that room? Is it is it a pretty calm place? Is it uh, you know are you, are you constantly just throwing ideas to each other? I mean, theoretically, all the people who are in that suite are people who are also in the office with you. Right. So you're basically what you're trying to do is, you know, there's, it's, you try to organize it as best you can. It's organized chaos. I'll call it. It's uh, you know, it's one of those. Sounds like the lobby. (laughs) Yeah. Some similarities. So to the lobby. uh, But I, you know, I think when, you know, when you have your analytics on one side of the room and you've got your video uh, analysis, uh, you know, in another part of the room, you've got your your kind of circle of chairs where the, the main discussion is going on. Your whiteboards with your rankings of players, either magnetic boards or, or dry erase boards. Uh, you're you're going through, and you're you're it's everything that you every decision that you make has a, a, a another consequence, right? So you've got different plans, you know, A to A to Z of options that you have out there, and you're trying to make sure that. You you keep as many balls up in the air, uh, you know, juggling them uh, until you're able to make a final decision. And when you if you're lucky enough to make a decision at the meetings, you know that decision then leads to another uh, kind of chain of events that you know kind of takes you down a different path. So you're constantly revising those those uh, conversations, those rankings, those paths to fit the latest news or fit your, the latest discussion. So. I'll give you an example, a, a trade discussion that you thought maybe was hot going into the meetings. And then as you got to the meetings, it changed for whatever reason. It Maybe the price tag went up or the team was less likely to move them because they signed a different player. All these factors that are fluid that go on on a daily basis, that moves a player up or, or down on your board um, accordingly. And so, you know, that, that's when you're going to go to the next option. You better have your rankings pretty much as you like them, you know, the, the meetings, the months leading up to the winter meetings were already, you know, organized in those rankings. So it, it's not like a, a move like that is this earth shattering thing where now you're back to square one. It's just, all right, we're going to have to go this move, this guy off the board or down on the board and let's move everybody else up. Does everybody agree? This is our next move. Um, if you're going to be collaborative, which I tried to do and which a lot of GMs are trying to do. Okay, so the GM meetings are mostly executives talking with each other about trades and sort of setting the table for what players might be available, what players might not be available. The winter meetings tend to be more about the free agents, and I'm sure you've got many meetings with agents when you're in that suite. How do you uh, avoid a situation where Scott Boris is in your suite talking to you, and at the time that he's ready to leave, all of a sudden... Uh, Casey Close is walking in. I'm sure that's you know not so. I'm sure that's something you try to avoid. I would assume. Yeah, if you can, I, I think um, that part of it is is kind of tricky. You know, you can. There's different ways to do that. If you, you know, if you're not necessarily locked into having all of the meetings in your suite, you can always meet offsite or meet somewhere else. And that that's the trick about it is you want to try to keep these these things as private as possible. That's where I, obviously the media part of it comes into play. Is 
you know, you're, you're trying to, to be covert about it. You don't primarily, not because you don't want the media to get it and necessarily, you, just, you don't want your competition to know. Many times you're in competition with another team or two teams or even within your own division for the same player. And it gets into a bidding war and, and you know, it's a perfect place for the agents to drive the price up on you uh, in one setting. They can go from literally your room to the next room to the next room within a couple of hours. And that before you know it, the price has gone from what you think is a reasonable one to out of your reach in a matter of hours. And so it moves that fast. That's the one thing about it that you have to keep a real pulse on. And the reason why GMs don't get a lot of sleep at these meetings is things change so quickly for that reason. Now, how much are you monitoring news during this time? Are you, you know, do you have somebody who's just on the job to, to make sure that they know everything that's going on or every rumor that's out there and every signing and every trade and everything that's going on so that you guys can, you know, have the most up-to-date uh, knowledge to your, you know, to your understanding? Yeah. So, so really it was, that's part of kind of dividing up the duties, right? So your scouts, if they're there, the pro scouts are there, they have their own teams. Usually I divided them up into five or six teams each. Uh, they were responsible for having conversations with the, the, their their proteges or colleagues on the other teams, um, and and in uh, they were in charge of of uh, gathering information on them. And then you cross check that with your analytics people, who you know you were assigning uh, teams to as well to keep an eye on Twitter and and you know some of the other areas that that you know when you see information out on these particular guys or any information for that matter. Uh, it gets brought into the equation. It might be as simple as a you know a tweet by let's say you Mark that you you see somebody is talking to another team about a trade, and you haven't had dialogue because you weren't you didn't think he was a good fit at the time. It jogs your memory. You're like you know what I'd like to get in on that conversation and pick up the phone and dial the room and see if you can sit down with a meeting. Like, like that's the that's the type you want to have that that mobility and flexibility within the room to be able to 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 adjust to a a uh, you know a trade rumor out there if if something comes up like that I think that's you know that's how we were able to do a couple of trades over the years especially with the Mets I remember the Robbie Alomar trade kind of came out of nowhere and we made a deal like that we signed Todd Zeal quickly um, you know based off of the information and sometimes you have to be careful because that information turns out to be old news or or not even accurate. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jimmy, because I like to do that in in our <laughs> special executive access podcasts. Give me your best winter meeting story. My best uh, winter meeting story is uh, when I was assistant GM for the Mets 2000, the Anaheim, the uh, went that winter uh, going into 2000. So it was after our 99 season, we signed Todd Zeal. Zeal was close. He was going to replace John Olerud for us. Uh, and we, but at the time when we had Todd Zeal, Todd Zeal lived in Southern California. He came into our room and we weren't going to sign him. Uh, because we were going to make a trade for Ken Griffey Jr. These, we felt pretty confident he was going to accept a, a, a no trade, uh, waive his no trade to come to New York. And this is at, you know, right before we went to the World Series in 2000. Todd Zeal, with his agent, sat in our room that day and negotiated the contract so that he, it was affordable for us so we could still go get Ken Griffey Jr. if we could. We ended up not getting Griffey, not, because, not for financial reasons, because he – wasn't given enough time to accept the trade, but Zeal specifically changed the, the, the and took less money. He was going to sign with Texas that day. He, he always wanted to play with Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza. 
So he signed a he signed a below market deal to come with the New York Mets with the hope that we were going to trade for Griffey too. So that one's one of my favorite ones because it was a, a it, it meant a free agent going to a place that that he wanted to win and wasn't asking for every last dollar, which is most of the time what free agents want. That might be a good strategy for a GM's tell you know tell tell a free agent oh yeah we're uh, we're trading for Mike Trout. Exactly. Try to the top <laughs> player in the game and see if the player will uh, believe you. See if they'll believe you and take less money to go there. Right. Uh, last question I have for you. So for people who have never been to the winter meetings, the first three days are sort of just a big mumbo jumbo of people hanging in the lobby and trying to find out what's going on. And you guys are all tucked away in your suites and the agents are jumping suite to suite or in some cases have their own suite. The fourth day of the winter meetings is the rule five draft. And then everybody getting out of town pretty much as quickly as they possibly can. As an executive up there, how much does the Rule Five draft play into your 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 experience at the winter meetings, or do you have other people who deal with that? And you know, you show up, you watch the Rule Five draft, you talk to your press corps for about five minutes, and then you get in the cab and go to the airport. Dep- yes, yeah, so depending on how active the the uh, the winter meetings are, uh, you generally you would assign the assistant GM uh, and maybe the minor league director and, and scouting director. Uh, to oversee the rule five. If it was on the slower side, uh, then as the GM, I, I would jump in and take a look at uh, the player, especially if we were going to take a, a player on the major league phase, who's going to come into the, uh, on the major league roster. Uh, we, we sat down, we had a, you know, a, a, a limited conversation to see if we had the room, see if it was going to be worth taking a pick. So, you know, as you know, I mean, that, that those picks can be real valuable, I mean, Johan Santana is one of the best I've ever I ever remember being taken in a Rule Five draft. But we've had some guys even recently, Ryan Flaherty. I remember being taken by the Astros. So you can get some good players there. But it's the GM, you know, wasn't I, I was not uh, actively involved uh, until the night before, and it really it was going to take somebody pretty pretty good and really a, a scout that was really passionate about the player for him to be added to our major league roster. It seems like at the Rule 5 draft, you look around, you see 30 GMs, all with very tired-looking eyes, who just want it to be over so they can go to the airport and go home. It's so true. It is so true. You hate to say it, but you hardly ever, not only do you not get any sleep, you hardly ever leave the room for a decent meal. It's usually a lot of bad room service. (laughs) Well, Jimmy, I'm sure you will find yourself a decent meal or two in Vegas this year. Uh, Thank you, as always, for coming on. Appreciate the insight. Always appreciate it. Thanks. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Our winter meetings preview podcast here on Executive Access continues. And right now I bring in a good friend, Tom O'Connell, agent for Major League Baseball players for over 20 years. Tommy, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me, bud. Absolutely. So I think, you know, most people's view of a sports agent is probably derived from Jerry Maguire. I think that's probably that or Arliss, right? Those are the two things that people uh, look at and say, oh, well, that's what a sports agent must be. But I've seen you guys in action. I've seen you guys during the season, but it's really nothing like watching an agent work a room at the winter meetings. What's a winter meetings like for you? Let's start with, I guess, prepping for the winter meetings. You know, you're you're working all season, uh, all off season on on getting your guys signed deals. Um, but as you get ready for this, these four days of uh, wheeling and dealing in, in Vegas, what goes into your prep work for these kinds of events? Well, you know, honestly, it's just, you know, you do a lot of research leading up to the winter meetings. You're coming out of the general manager meetings. Obviously, you've had hopefully some good dialogue with uh, 
executives, uh, which this year was in Carlsbad. So, you, you know, you really, it really starts there. I mean, most of the teams kind of get their budgets from and their marching orders from, from their, you know, their owners and presidents. The, the clubs meet with the LRD at the GM meeting. So they kind of have an idea of what their budget's going to be uh, as the winter starts to unfold. So then obviously you have to set the rosters on November 20th. Then you have the tender date for all players that will be eligible for salary arbitration, which um, this year I believe is is November 30th. So leading up to it, I think it's more about, you know, gauging interest with uh, all the potential suitors for your, for your clients. And then ultimately you're hopefully having some, you know, good dialogue leading up to, uh, to Las Vegas. So typically speaking, you mentioned the GM meetings. You guys go to the GM meetings and you sit down with, with clubs. You try to steal a few minutes in between their meetings. When you leave the GM meetings until the time you go to the winter meetings, have you started in your head to narrow down sort of the field of, of the clubs that are going to be in play for your guys? Or do you go into the winter meetings saying, I'm still going to check in with all 30 teams and see if anything's changed? I'm sure there's obviously constant contact between uh, both sides throughout the, you know, the, the weeks in between. But when you go into the winter meetings, have you already started to, you know, kind of narrow down in your head where you're, where you're targeting your own guys? You know, yes and no, Mark. I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, you, you obviously uh, are hopefully having some prudent conversations, uh, but then ultimately, you know, this year was kind of different because it was such a big gap between the GM meetings were kind of early this year. So, you know, you've, it gives us a lot of time to kind of for them to assess the trade market um, to kind of get, you know, their game plan in place. And then, you know, you're, you're hoping again to come out of there with, with some direction, but ultimately you really, unless you're, you know, your guy is, is one of the premium guys on the market, uh, the sense that there's still going to be a ton of dialogue between the GM meetings and the winter meetings are often true. So again, it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's kind of hit or miss as far as coming out of the GM meetings, whether you're going to get a deal done before the winter meetings, if that makes sense. So from my standpoint and a media standpoint, the winter meetings are a lot of standing around the lobby, looking around, trying to find somebody to talk to. What is an agent's sort of daily uh, procedure at the winter meetings? What What is your typical day like? So, I mean, basically, you know, you're, you hopefully have a bunch of uh, preliminary meetings set up before you get there. Um, and then you, uh, you know, ultimately just each day you, you try to have as many fruitful discussions and meetings as possible. And you, uh, you know, I've had, you know, years where you just kind of run into a conversation, you know, being in the lobby or being on the, on the property, wherever the, wherever you are. And, and then more, obviously some more formal meetings where you go into the, uh, the club suite and, you know, discuss your guys for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Have you ever encountered a situation where you are either walking in or out of a team suite and you bump into another agent who's either on his way in or out of that suite. Oh yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So um, you know, again, it's it's uh, there's a lot of you know, a lot of executives, a lot of agents that you know attend these events. So therefore, you know, again, you're you're always uh, you're always running into people, and and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting dynamic. I would imagine. You know, it's interesting. I know the the GM fraternity, so to speak. There's only thirty of them out there, and they all have similar jobs and even though they're rivals there's a there's a bond between them i think in in a lot of cases are agents the same way do you know a lot of agents are you friendly with other agents or is yours such a competitive business that you almost can't allow yourself to to be friendly with them 
No, look, I've, I've got a bunch of guys that I'm friends with in this industry. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously competitors, but at the same time, um, you can compete on a professional level and still be very cordial with your competition. And I've always found that's, that's the way it's always been for me. And uh, it's always worked for me that way. I, you know, I, I have some, some buddies that I consider very good friends uh, in the business. And it's, it's always been advantageous for me to have those key relationships because I feel that, you know, there's a lot of good, good people in this business. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm friends with quite a few of them. So does your interest or, or uh, excitement might not be the, the right word, but your interest level and sort of eagerness of getting to the winter meetings, does that really depend each year on sort of which clients you have as free agents and which clients are in play? Because I would imagine, you know, in a year where you have a client like this year, Wade Miley, who's going to generate a lot of interest, uh, I'm sure you're pretty eager to get to Vegas and, and hear, you know, what a lot of these teams have to say. Whereas if it's a winter where you don't have somebody of that nature, uh, you know, it might be more of a, a networking and, you know, maybe a little bit of a slower period for you. Yeah. You know, I always enjoy the winter meetings, Mark. I mean, for me, it's a chance to run into all the people you deal with year in and year out. And we all get together under one roof, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, you have, you tell stories and, you know, you, you, it's, you know, a time for, if you haven't seen a person in a long time to say hello and, you know, look, there's there's a lot of business to be done, you know, whether it be dealing with the clubs or dealing with, you know, the marketing companies. It's it's you try to make it as productive a four day um, experience as you can as you can. Uh, but at the same time, I always enjoy the winter meetings. What do you think the Vegas element adds into this already sort of chaotic experience? Yeah. So, you know, I remember last time that they were in Vegas at the Bellagio and, and uh, you know, it's uh Look, the, the, the nice thing about Las Vegas is you have, you know, a lot of nice properties you can stay at. And you also have a tremendous amount of restaurants and, you know, there's a lot of entertainment. You know, there's great golf courses and, you know, you obviously got the hockey team now out there. So there's a lot of things that you can do in Las Vegas. And, and you know, clearly, you know, you, you don't want to ever get off point of what you're trying to accomplish out there. But at the same time, it's, it's such a tremendous venue to where you're, you know, you can kind of take a break from time to time throughout the course of the week and, uh, and enjoy yourself a little bit. I guess theoretically, there are plenty of places you can also go to meet people without being seen necessarily. Whereas, you know, when they're at one of these big resorts where everybody just stays on the resort, there's only so many restaurants in the resort, right? This way, correct. you want to go meet yeah. with an executive and, and not necessarily have that seen by the public. There are ways to do that in Vegas, probably more so than other winter meetings locales. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and again, that's, that's the nice thing about Las Vegas is the fact that there are so many different venues that you can, that you can dine at and that, that you can, uh, you know, again, have those meetings that, you know, if you feel that it's in your best interest to, to keep, uh, and I'm, I've always been one of those type of agents that keeps everything pretty close to the vest. You know, I like the fact that there's a lot of different options for us when we want to sit down and, you know, have coffee or breakfast or lunch or, or, you know, dinner and, and discuss, uh, discuss what we're doing, you know. So I know for people in my job, we're refreshing Twitter all day. We're refreshing MLB.com all day. We're refreshing trade rumors all day. Executives are doing the same. Are you going to be wearing out your phone battery, uh, re refreshing all of these sites every every five minutes or so? Oh yeah, I've got a I've got a really good battery pack that that I found this year um, at the uh, Tampa International Airport that I've gotten quite a quite a lot of usage out of, and I can can guarantee you that it will be fully charged and ready to go for those four days. Tools of the trade, right, Tommy? 100%. <laughs> All right, before we let you go, I've been asking everybody else this. What's your best winter meeting story? God, my best winter meeting story. You know, um, 
I guess probably just the first the first one I ever went to in Boston. Um, it was just it was just such an interesting experience as far as just kind of seeing the dynamic of how everything worked, you know. And and uh, it's amazing just you know how many people are in the lobby and and how many reporters and and just the whole. And then, you know, again, this is years ago. This is probably I think it was two thousand in Boston. And uh, you know, the first time you ever go, you know, you just it just it's it's just such an interesting event, you know, with all the different people and all, you know, all the different agents and, and, uh, and executives, you know, interacting right there in the lobby. So that was kind of, you know, I don't have a tremendously like one story that like stands out, but just the whole experience of dealing it with it in Boston for the first time. And it was really, truly, you know, a special event and, uh, something that always has, has stayed with me over the years. So. Warm weather winter meetings always better than cold winter winter. Yeah, I like it when it's weather, right? Orlando. Orlando always is uh, is nice for me because that's uh, an hour down the road. <laughs> I'm sure that's uh, certainly easier than a flight to Vegas. Tom, I appreciate your time. Tom O'Connell, MLB agent and the president of O'Connell Sports Management. Good luck at this year's winter meetings. I'm sure uh, somehow our paths will cross at the bar at some point or another. You got it, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tommy. Joining me now, another good friend of mine and colleague from MLB.com. I believe I've once referred to him on this very podcast as a draft guru. Uh, but I think in this case, we're going to turn and make you the Rule 5 draft guru, Jonathan Mayo. How you doing, buddy? Hey, if, if the if the label sticks, we'll, uh, we'll go with it. There you go. We can get your business cards. It's a guru. I like it. Sure. Um, so I was just talking to Jim Duquette, and we talked about the Rule 5 draft a little bit. And how by the fourth day of the winter meetings, most of the executives are sort of bleary eyed and they show up to the rule five and they stand in the back and watch and they just want to get in their cabs and go to the airport. Uh, you sort of look forward to the rule five draft. It's like your bread and butter at the winter meetings. Uh, take, <laughs> us, take us through sort of the whole process of rule five. We see a lot of the, uh, you know, teams towards the end of November starting to make a lot of 40 man roster moves to protect certain guys. For those people who are not completely familiar with the rules, who needs to be protected and who doesn't? Sure. First of all, I would say it's more like bread and I can't believe it's not butter. Um, <laughs> it is the rule five draft after all, but uh, yeah, it, it it's kind of a, a, a low risk, potentially high reward, although not as high reward as it, as it used to be uh, exercise. And uh, Basically, there's players after a certain amount of time in pro ball, they have to be protected on the 40-man roster or be eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Uh, it's players first signed at age 18 or younger uh, within five seasons. Uh, players signed at 19 or older have to be protected within four seasons. What that means for this year is that if you were an international signee or a high school draft pick, in 2014, assuming he was 18 or younger as of June 5th of that year, those guys had to be added to the 40-man the roster. Uh, case in point, Mitch Keller of the Pirates, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, was added to the 40-man roster. High school guy taken uh, in the 2014 draft. A college player from the 2015 draft was in the same position. And then, and then other teams can just sort of go – the, the, two, the guys that aren't protected on the 40-man, other teams can just go pluck them away, but there are rules in place in terms yep. of uh, – so, so explain those rules a little bit. Sure. So basically what will happen is if, if a guy ha has some value, uh, and, but they don't have room for them on the 40-man roster, what usually happens is you'll see them 
put officially on their AAA roster, which means they can only be taken in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. There's a minor league phase as well. Uh, the rules are a little bit looser for that. But the one that people, I think, pay attention to because uh, that's where the big league talent comes from is the major league phase. Uh, if I'm a team that wants to take uh, a player from your from your team who wasn't protected, I would have to pay that team, your team, $100,000 to take the player. Uh, that player then has to stay on the 25-man roster all year. If not, then he must be offered back to the former team for $50,000. Now, the former team can say, nah, uh, you know, uh, what, or, or the team can try to pass them through waivers, and then other teams can, you know, claim him, but then the same rules apply in terms of staying on the 25-man roster. You will occasionally see a Rule Five pick bounce around to three or four organizations before they, you know, before he ends up back with his original organization if he can't stick in the big leagues. And obviously, Johan Santana is the guy everybody points to as that guy was a Rule Five draft pick, and you know that's obviously the exception, not the rule. But we've seen Josh, some pretty yeah, Josh Hamilton's another another sure. one. Yeah. But we've seen some pretty good players get picked and return to their teams. Uh, many times. I mean, I, from my time covering the Yankees, I remember the Padres selected Ivan Nova in the rule five draft and then returned him to the Yankees. Uh, and obviously there have been a lot more guys, um, you know, I guess keeping a guy on the 25 man roster for the entire season is a, you know, pretty big, pretty big thing to do if you're not hundred percent sold on a player. Right. It's, it's really hard. I mean, Johan Santana was one of those situations where, you know, the, the twins had nothing to lose and they, they kind of hit him in the back of their bullpen for a year. Uh, these days, especially considering, uh, you know, starters don't go more than what, like six innings. Like you, you can't use up a roster spot that way, quite in the same way. Uh, so it's tough. Uh, it, more often than not, as players who have some upper level minor league experience, so you feel that there's a better chance of them making that leap to the big leagues. Uh, you know, it's hard because there are only so many at bats or innings in spring training for them to show what they can do to begin with. Uh, so it, it makes it extremely challenging for a guy to stick. There are exceptions. Uh, you know, Joaquin Soria had thrown, I think, 13 innings of a ball. And then, uh, he ended up pitching, you know, important big league innings out of the, the Royals bullpen right away and ended up closing, you know, and has turned into a really terrific pitcher. That's, that's the exception rather than the, the rule, uh, you know, Odubel Herrera is a guy who, you know, made the, a nice jump to Phillies and ended up an all-star. He's a more recent example, but it's tough uh, to be able to stash a guy. Uh, you know, I think the Padres have probably been the most aggressive because they were in this full rebuild mode and they had, I think they had three rule five guys at one time in their big league roster. And because uh, they just needed guys to, to fill innings and, and, and soak up at bats uh, where they were in that sort of very beginning stages of that, of that rebuild project. The rule five draft itself is a very impressive looking room. You walk in, there's 30 tables, there's, bunch of media and fans watching from the back uh you and jim callis and mike rosenbaum recently had a story on mlb.com with one uh sort of rule five guy to watch from every team there's a lot of players out there how do you guys possibly come up with a list of who is really likely to go in this thing i mean for for this that list i would say i i would not you know bring that in as your scorecard uh just because uh you know some of it is just we've been doing 
regular features of, you know, one X kind of prospect for every organization. And in this case, it was one guy who was interesting um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, of possibility being taken somewhere while here's the most likely guy to be taken. Uh, by now you have a sense of what kind of players get taken. Uh, it certainly doesn't always work out that way, uh, you know, but there are, there, there's some interesting guys and, and some sort of not known quantities. Cause obviously none of these guys are, are, are even top 100 prospects and the eight guys who needed to be protected on a top 100 uh, list were protected, but there are some former first rounders and things like that. So, you know, I think that it's, you know, there's going to be some interesting names taken and some will be like, Oh yeah, that, that guy, like what happened? Why was he eligible? I remember none of these guys are marquee names. Otherwise uh, they would have landed on, on 40 men rosters. Any, any good rule five draft stories from your winter meetings of past? I mean, it, you know, it, it used to be that I would, I would really get really gung ho about finding out like who was going to be the number one pick and, uh, and things like that. I would chase it down. Like it was the, the June draft. Uh, and I, I've kind of in, in age, you know, as I get older and the energy is, is, is lacking. I, I've not quite been the, the dogged uh, reporter uh, and investigator in terms of that. I still like, you know, to try to get a good list of names. Um, you know, I, I think the best, you know, the, the best story is when Josh Hamilton went in the rule five draft, because we started to hear that that might happen and we couldn't get confirmation. Uh, you know, at, at the time, uh, I think that nobody won't, you know, no one was willing to admit that they were going to make this, what was a huge risk because he had barely played professional baseball. And obviously it had uh, so many problems with, with, uh, with drugs. But so we started hearing it and we couldn't quite get it confirmed, you know, for when we were doing our, our broadcast. And then of course he went and it was probably the, the largest kind of like, Ooh, or buzz uh, I've ever heard among the crowd that does assemble for the, for the rule five draft. Right. I mean, Johan Santana in hindsight was a huge thing, but when it happened, I probably didn't have much of a murmur in the room. Right. Nobody had any idea who he was, um, and 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 there were there was a lot less prospect coverage back then too. I mean, that's a long time ago uh, when Santana got taken. It was really only Baseball America was putting out prospect lists, and it wasn't online really. Uh, so you know, I, I can't, I don't know off the top of my head if Santana was even a top thirty, uh, you know, thirty prospect uh, for the Astros that year. I, I don't, I don't really you know, remember, but he certainly wasn't like a high up name. You know, Josh Hamilton was the number one pick in, in the draft uh, in his draft year. And, and obviously, uh, so he had that kind of cachet attached to him. And, uh, and because of the, all the, the very well-documented uh, issues and suspensions, it, it was uh, amplified into a much uh, bigger story than any other rule five story that, uh, that I can remember. Well, we will be all be very excited to follow your coverage of the Rule 5 draft and in most cases of people who are at the winter meetings to then get into a cab and head home. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. Sure there's some, there, yeah, there are some good names, um, you know, some some guys who are high draft picks who just haven't uh, hasn't clicked yet. So it's still 
very low risk. For you, it's almost the opposite of All-Star Weekend, where your big event comes before the All-Star Game. This, you're like the grand finale of the winter meetings. <laughs> the grand finale. People people always be like, used to say to me, well, this is like your Super Bowl. I'm like, yeah, it's like the Pro Bowl. Uh, I don't want to over, oversell what the Rule 5 draft is. I mean, it's good. Uh, and, you know, ever since the rules changed, uh, teams now have an extra year uh, in terms of making that decision to protect or not to protect. It used to be three and four years. Uh, it, so there used to be more fines uh, and more guys that uh, weren't protected who ended up being, you know, sort of high level, you know, high level, maybe even big league regulars. Uh, you know, there's been some successes over the last couple of years, but not quite the same in terms of, of impact talent. I think teams are, are not letting guys sort of fall through those cracks because they get that extra year of development time and evaluation time. Well, looking forward to seeing you in Vegas and uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it very much. Anytime. We move on with our executive access winter meetings preview podcast and joining me now, my good friend and colleague from MLB.com. You can also see him on Fox sports and the MLB network, John Paul Morosi, JP, how you doing, pal? Doing great, Mark, and uh, great to be working with you uh, on, on this podcast and certainly at the winter meetings as well. I know one of our favorite times of the year and, and a year in which a uh, time of year, rather, in which uh, uh, total hours of, of sleep for anybody. Uh, it probably if you if you take four days and group them together, you may reach the, the recommended allocation that a doctor would tell you should get in one night. <laughs> four, three or four nights probably to accumulate that amount of sleep. That is probably true. And then you throw in the Vegas factor and it could get really yeah. dangerous. So yeah. <laughs> uh, at least from, from my recollection of 10 years ago anyway. Right. Um, so, you know, people always say, you know, oh, the winter meetings, that must be your favorite week of the year. I'm not sure it's my favorite week of the year. I think going into it, you're excited to go. You're excited. You're even sitting home. Uh, of course, those who are not completely familiar, John and I both are national reporters for MLB.com. So we're, you know, sort of trying to get the the off-season scoops and, of course, in-season as well. But we'll focus on the winter right now, uh, figure out this whole hot stove thing, who's going where, who's getting traded where, who's signing where. And the winter meetings are really where the culmination of a lot of that uh, takes place. Now, we've seen slower markets in the last year or two where it's, you know, dripped into January and even February and March in some cases. But the winter meetings are sort of where, uh, where all the action is. You've got all 30 teams there. You've got every agent of note there. Uh, you have some players show up in some cases. And I feel like the first day of the winter meetings is always that like, all right, let's go tackle this. What's going on? Um, how do you sort of approach as you head into a winter meetings, John? Well, Mark, as you know, sometimes it can be overwhelming uh, because you you get there and, and there are so many stories to follow. Uh, and I, I use the analogy of you try not to be the the seven-year-old soccer game uh, of, of journalism, which is we all run after the same ball all around the field all the time. That 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 sometimes uh, can be a little a little tedious. So I, I think it's important to try to, as opposed to just swaying with whatever the the most recent story mentioned on Twitter is, and then try to jump on whatever that is. Is I, I try to to pick the, the the five or ten biggest either free agents or or trade candidates, and then just try to surround those stories with as much context as we can because um when a deal happens and it and it comes together and it, it gets agreed upon um obviously we all want to be first there's no question about that 
But I think one of the more important things to, to talk about in advance of that moment is, is where teams are, where, where they're comfortable on years or on dollars and, and where, which prospects could be in play for particular deals. And, and of course we both know Mark, how hard it is to get that information, but that's where it comes down to. I, I think being able to tell your readers and your viewers um, as much as you can in, in the 24 hours before a deal is is, co- is coming to its culmination, um, why a particular team may be able to make that trade for a for a player, and why they may not be able to, based on different uh, different things that are in play. And, and I think that to me is the is the biggest uh, question, the biggest task that we all have is is how do we do the best job to serve our viewers and our readers with the the biggest stories and put them all in proper context. So when I was talking to Jim Duquette a little earlier on the podcast, we were talking about how. You know, when you're an executive with a team and you're in your suite and maybe you have an agent coming to meet with you and, you, you know, you try to schedule your appointments far enough away from each other so that, you know, Scott Boris isn't walking out of the room as Casey Close is walking in. Um, and he said, you know, sometimes you'll go meet in a neutral site, uh, you know, to go sort of keep it away from the suite. Now, our job in some cases is to look for those neutral sites and try to figure out who's talking to who, who, uh, you know, what does this mean? Oh, Brian Cashman was sitting with uh, with Adam Katz. What could that mean? Uh, you know, that kind of thing, or, or two GMs are having breakfast in the hotel. How much of your day is spent just looking around and trying to get a sense of, you know, who's where? Obviously, you're looking for people to talk to, uh, but how much of it this, this becomes detective work in your in your mind? Well, it's a great question, Mark. And, and, and to me, uh, I think a lot of what we do is, is strategic and uh, trying to figure out where the main lobbies are or elevator banks where you're going to get the most foot traffic. Um, you can't, you can't be first on every single story. You can't, you can't dominate every single one. So I, to me, I've, I've always tried to, to, to use the phrase, be, be kind enough to myself to say, you're not going to be able to get them all. Just do the best you can uh, with, with the tools that you've got in your, in your toolkit to, to be as comprehensive as you can within your own limitations we all have limitations try to be as uh as as honest and and uh and fair about what we all bring to the party so to speak so i i think you have to try to position yourself um in in, in a spot where you're going to probably see the most people or or just give yourself the best chance to see the the greatest number of of major influencers so as you would say probably the the agents and the executives. And so I think find the biggest elevator banks, find the the main lobbies where people seem to be congregating. And, and then usually there's that couple minutes uh, between when an elevator is called and when the elevator actually arrives, where on some level, the executive is not going to run away from you because they have nowhere to go. So, uh, right. Cause they need to get in that elevator. <laughs> right, right, right. They, uh, so that's, that's maybe where you, you position yourself uh, in, and they always say, you know, kind of in, in basketball, you're, you're playing, you're playing man defense. You kind of sag a little bit and trying to keep your eyes on two different, two different fronts there, so to speak. And so I think you, you kind of say, okay, Hey, uh, uh, you know, if it was last year, JD Martinez in or out off the record, hey, maybe they'll tell you something, maybe they won't, but at least, at least you're giving yourself a chance to, to glean some level of information uh, with the quickest question. I think that that's where as much as you can, and, and it's impossible to prepare for this mark on the day where you sort of memorize, okay, if I see these 10 GMs, I'll ask about this, or you have to just be fluent enough in the major stories that it's instinctive. When you see someone, 
okay, if I see Rick Hahn, I'll ask this. If I see David Forrest, I'll ask this. And so that way you're not surprised and you're not stupefied in the moment without something to say. You, you try to uh, think about what the biggest pressing questions are for that particular team, and then you, uh, and then you try to ask them. I remember there was one, one year, I think it was in Dallas, when, when the Marlins were spending like crazy or at least trying to spend like crazy and, and uh, going into the new ballpark. And they were on pools. They were on everybody. They signed Burley. They signed Reyes um, and Heath Bell. That was the same, same winter meetings. And I remember they, the, the Marlins were always traveling in a group. And so Jeffrey Loria, David Sampson, Michael Hill, they were always together. And so it was, and so to try to hop alongside their caravan, if you will, or the convoy and get questions in was, was difficult because they were all together. So I remember, I think there may have even been a picture of, uh, of you were probably in it too. You or John Amon or me, we were all kind of trying to follow along. And, and like the, the, uh, the, the, you think about like the Washington DC press corps, like the, the, the shouted questions. That was basically what we were all trying to do. It was kind of funny actually. Um, kind of look like what, what, what they, what they make it look like in the movies where, right. you know, somebody gets out of the car and people are just shouting right. questions. Exactly. That doesn't really happen in real life. Right. It doesn't really happen in real life. <laughs> At least not in our world. And so right. uh, we're, we're trying to be as, as, uh, as, as polite, I suppose, as we could be, but they're there. And so do you, do you make the, do you make the bit of, of the rather awkward walk and talk and you're not going to stick a microphone in someone's face in the middle of a lobby. It's just, there, there are certain, I would like to think at least um, uh, codes of decorum that maybe we don't really know off the top of our heads, Mark, but we've been around this business long enough to know probably how we're supposed to act, at least allegedly. And so uh, uh, th- that's always interesting to see. Okay, how like how much do you do you chase after this executive? You probably don't really want to do that. At what point in time in the night, if if a, if a GM is 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 retiring to the lounge in the lobby at, at midnight, probably don't bother him or her because they're, it's, it's the end of their night and they may be having a cocktail with the rest of their staff, leave them alone. So I think there's, there's always those barriers that, that I try to be respectful of. And, and maybe I've missed a couple stories as a result of trying to impose certain limitations on myself, but I, I tend to think that that's the way we should, we should be. But uh, it's, it's that combination of, I guess I'll, I'll use the term mark that we hear from so many hitters these days. I want to be patiently aggressive. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's not be, let's not be excessively aggressive. Let's not swing at every pitch. Let's be, uh, let's be tactical and strategic and respectful as best we can. Uh, but obviously being mindful of the fact that we're there um, sent there by our employers to get information. So it's a, it's a delicate da- uh, dance of course, every day, but uh, I, I like to think, uh, you know, Mark, I, I respect the way you do it so much and, and uh, have seen you in action for so many years. So uh, I, I, I admire the way you do things and hope to uh, hope to have the same standards in, w- in what I do as well. You know, it's funny, you mentioned something earlier about sort of figuring out where the best lobby spot is and where the best elevator banks are. And it seems like, you know, most people think of, oh, you're at a hotel, there's only one bank of elevators, there's only one lobby. These winter meeting sites are massive. I mean, they're conventions, basically. There's a trade show, there's a job fair, there's all the minor league meetings, the major league meetings, all the media. So, I mean, these are usually massive hotels. And uh, this is going to be my 16th winter meetings that I've covered. And, you know, Every time you go to Nashville, you just know that Opryland Hotel. It's just a, a just a maze of it's like the Truman Show. You're got under the big glass dome, right? Um, and you know, but you're at least somewhat familiar with it. You know, the the Disney Hotel, the, you know, Swan and Dolphin in Orlando. You've been there enough. You know, it's interesting. This year they're moving to the Mandalay Bay in Vegas. It's only been in Vegas once before. It was the Bellagio. So you're now we're entering a hotel 
Sunday, I'm planning on spending an hour or two just walking around getting a lay of the land. And that's something that, you know, in most situations and most jobs, you wouldn't think that's something you need to do. But, you know, moving to a new locale, that's going to be an important part of our week, I think. Road game. Road game, Mark. It's a road game for us. You have to, you know, but even at a road game, people have played in those ballparks before, you know? I borrow. Opryland's a road game, too. Exactly. I I, I borrow the the, the football analogy. We we need the walkthrough. You have to have the walkthrough the day before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I I have these flashbacks to one of my favorite moments in the World Series of of all of them that I covered was that was 2013 before game three. And so the travel day before game three in St. Louis. Brian Butterfield, who, of course, is one of the great third-base coaches in, in modern baseball history. Brian is walking the perimeter of the stadium at Bush Stadium and literally touching the wall in different locations to see where the hard bounces will be and where the soft bounces will be. So that way he knows when to to, to wheel guys around third base depending on where a ball bounces in the outfield. That's, that, that's, that's what you call detail lay of the land. I'm not quite sure that we have to be that detailed as Brian is because he's the best. <laughs> there aren't but, that many elevators. Yeah, there aren't that many <laughs> elevators. But, uh, but, it is, but you're right. I mean, this, this, is a, this is an assignment unlike any other. You're going to – and I remember seeing years ago uh, uh, Peter Gammons wearing, of course, the ever-present sneakers. Peter will wear sneakers to a lot of these uh, winter meetings because it's better for – Better for your legs, better for your back. If you're going to be running or, or walking, more more likely, miles upon miles every day, uh, be kind to yourself. If you know if you can wear shoes, fine. You know the the hard hard soled shoes. If you're going to be on camera, and you want to have that look. That's fine. But pra- practical matters uh, are are the predominant ones here, Mark. And, and if it's going to help you get an extra half an hour or forty five minutes on your feet at the end of the day, where you've got the energy to do it. Wear tennis shoes if you want to. Wear wear sneakers. Uh, wear wear comfortable shoes. Be comfortable. Uh, and and of course there is always the the issues of um, you know when do you eat? When is it safe to eat? And I, I kind of circle back to the original thing of you got to be you got to be kind to yourself. This is not uh, this is not the uh, the triathlon here where you're trying to where you're pushing the limits of your exertion. Be be smart about it and and be kind to yourself in terms of your nutrition and and certainly hydrate but one of the key things is for us got to have that cell phone charger and certainly uh, absolutely no question i have gone to that to the uh, the sort of the charger within the charger if your cell phone conks out on you you're you're, you're in rough shape and, and that's i, I yep. probably i remember one time and this was you're I mean, going to the plate without a bat yeah I think early, <laughs> early in my career uh at foxsports.com this is probably like nine in like 2009 10 winter or maybe the next one uh, I was, uh, I was, I had my, uh, my cell phone at, and back then it was a Blackberry, I think it was. And, and the, uh, and I was trying to clean the, the little tracker ball in the middle mm-hmm. of it because it was getting sticky. And I think I, I like put some like alcohol or hand sanitizer on the thing. This is getting into pretty good detail, but I was, I was trying to clean this thing out and the ball pops out. Like the day before the winter meetings, I, I, oh, I, I'm now I'm useless. Literally, I I remember calling my boss like I am I am I am useless to the world and the company. I've got no functioning tracking ball on my BlackBerry. What am I going to do? Good. And so I remember like a sheer panic. Uh, but it was I think somehow I either fixed it and whether whether I had to use duct tape or whatever it was, somehow it worked. But it was uh, it, it, you had to find that little workaround solution to make sure that it worked. But these are the things. I mean, you're relying on your technology. You can't have a phone conk out because then you go back to, I would say, the, what you would call, Mark, the, the good old days where you actually had to just literally perish the thought, talk to people. 
uh, <laughs> hobby and actual real life, real life conversations, uh, which used to be, I, I mean, I, my first winter meetings was in 05 when I, I guess maybe some, some people had text messaging on their phone. I quite didn't at that point in time, but you, you really were just talking to everybody, which, which I think in many ways was probably a better way to exist and may well it may well be a a, a two beverage talk about about life in 2018 2019 but i i think that for me that was a very different way to have uh, the winter meetings conducted in terms of that mode of technology it is almost a different job and different era and generation entirely now that uh, you could be looking at your competition and they're tweeting something you look up at them hey good scoop and now i have to go chase that story you just tweeted out it's just it's fundamentally different than what it used to be which was Check the papers in the morning and see what the competition has. I say that to people now. They're like, they're like, what did you do? You would check the other newspapers in the morning? Is, yes. <laughs> right. There was no Twitter. It was a, it was a much simpler world so in some ways. So different. And, and pro- I pro- we probably slept a little more then. Uh, but then again, back in those days, Mark, you had the time of, um, again, is inside baseball, but it's true. You know, you could actually kick back and relax with your, with your friends at the bar once everybody's stories were in because there was nothing else to do. That's uh, right. Now there is no such thing as, oh, the last edition has rolled off the presses and the trucks are now rumbling to the upper peninsula of Michigan with the free press and you're good. No, that's not really how it works anymore. You've got a, it's a 24 seven job and, and there really is no time when you can say, well, I'm off now. The paper's to bed. Doesn't really work well, and the one thing you're not going to be able to do in Vegas, there's no such thing as last call either. So, well, But we also benefit from the additional oxygen, though, Mark. That's, that's very true. Not knowing whether it's light or dark outside is a big plus. Good energy. Uh, <laughs> last question for me here. We have no idea the over-under on free agents who may sign or trades that may happen. But what's your over-under during the four days of the winter meetings of bad Vegas puns in people's leads? Oh, every day there'll be about... 25 of them, I think. Yeah, there's, there's no question. <laughs> I think back, you know, and I, I believe, Mark, you would have been still on the Yankee beat the last time uh, they were in Vegas, correct? 10 years yes, ago? Yes, correct. CC, I remember that was one of the great moments of that winter meetings. CC rolling through the lobby of the Bellagio, and there was such a such a fervor. CC has arrived. Everybody was, yep. there was great excitement. I remember that distinctly. I think AJ Burnett was right around that same time to share. Yep. And then Brian that. Cashman left, Brian Cashman left Vegas to fly to California two days later to go close the deal with CC after he had returned home. How about that? And that was, that was it. Yeah, that was a good stuff right there. I remember there was a, uh, as I recall, Jake Peavy was in the mix there to be traded to the Cubs. And, of course, yep. it wasn't until the following year that he was traded to the White Sox. Wasn't there some story about Jake allegedly singing Go Cubs Go in, in, a, in an establishment there? I remember hearing that story. I'm not sure if it's actually true. I mean, I'll have to get well, Jake. I was, I was on the Yankee beat, so I okay. was not plugged into yeah. the Cubs situation as much. But uh, we were we were all worried about CeCe and AJ and, of course, then getting <laughs> blindsided by the whole Teixeira signing. So, uh, Which I believe was a couple of days after Christmas. So yeah. It's amazing how we can all think back, Mark, to where we all were when these different stories took place. And it's great. It's kind of a way, to, a way of marking the time. It's hard to believe it was 10 years since the last time we were there. But I think we'll certainly see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, Vegas references in the course of the, uh, uh, the, the, the top of those stories. And, of course, I had a chance to, to, to read a fair number of them uh, in the course of covering uh, the, the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs last year for NHL Network, our, our, uh, our sister-brother organization there in the, in the MLB uh, media landscape there. So it was, it was really cool to be uh, involved in, the, in, in that and, and be in Vegas for that. So I've, so I've seen professional sports in Vegas, uh, but I've not uh, 
not actually uh, been able to ever cover a baseball game there, but maybe Mark someday based on the way that uh, you never know expansion coming there with the NFL. The NHL has been such a big success. So maybe uh, major league baseball games in Vegas someday. And, uh, and, and absent that we've got uh, the, the great Vegas, uh, puns that I'm sure we can spin here over the course of the winter meetings in, in the weeks to come. No question about it. Well, JP, I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Thanks a lot for your time, and uh, we'll see you soon. Sounds great, Mark. We shall add more stories to winter meetings folklore during the course of these uh, proceedings here in, in Vegas. Thanks for joining us here on the special winter meetings preview podcast and executive access. I want to thank John Palmarosi, Jonathan Mayo, Jim Duquette, and Tom O'Connell for joining me this week. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Art19, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all year long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinstein.